It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Who is a bimbo? What is a bimbo? These are multiple questions that I have been getting from millennials. Who is the Gen Z bimbo? Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Jess is off on break. Joining us today as our special guest host is Yoonj Kim. That was a fun, fun clip from TikTok, um, which highlights this bimbofication trend. And we're talking to writer Michelle Santiago Cortez from Refinery29 about the rise of the new age bimbo, um, which is a trend on TikTok. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for joining. Hi, how are you? Um, I am well. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm fascinated and curious about this um, because I think the, it's really powerful um, to reclaim um, historically offensive or, um, you know, terms that are supposed to be seen as negative. Um, mm-hmm. but, so set this up for us. What is the bimbofication movement? Like, how did it start? Right. So I guess the we should start like late 2019, early 2020. It was just like a crop of people on TikTok who were very much leaning into their looks, talking all about hotness. But because it was like um, early 2020, like we were in the thick of the pandemic and the Trump administration. And like later on that summer, we had the uprisings like these were not your average or the bimbos we had come to know after, you know, the Pam Anderson and Nicole era, Smith era. So these were like extremely politically conscious and they were just like, they, I feel like it's just like, they realize it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be ridiculously hot and care a lot about how you look and also be really smart. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like where it took off. but the term like bimbofication in itself kind of precedes that and it has a funny story um, having to do with fetish art and deviant art. Wow. I think it's so cool that people, because I think that in a lot of ways, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to sort of reject the patriarchy and um, you know, subvert it. And I think this is actually a really powerful way because one of the things I talked to my best friend, um, Sumita Mukhopadhyay, who was, the, she was the former um, executive editor of Teen Vogue. She's now writing a book, which everybody will oh, buy when it is out. Um, I love her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my BFF. And like, we have had many, many a conversation about how, you know, we're intersectional feminists, but we like makeup. <laughs> you know, like we're intersectional mm-hmm. feminists, but I like, you know, my nails painted a pretty color. Um, I find, I, 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 you know, feel joy when I look at that. Um, and how, you know, there, there was sort of a, a trend in sort of second wave feminism to reject those things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, dress as much like a man as you can possibly dress to go into the work. You know, there was a, there's sort of a, um, a second wave um, archetype, if you will, um, totally. that we we were sort of rejecting and saying like no we actually like these things that make us girly and like that doesn't make me less feminist because I like lipstick 
Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about the way in which that's sort of generational? Because I think, you know, as you said, there's been different part, parts of movements and stereotypes around what a bimbo actually is in the mm-hmm. past that this current generation is sort of being like, no, I actually reject this whole premise. I like makeup and I'm smart. Um, yeah. You know, there's nothing like and I can be feminist all at the same time. Yeah. I also feel like it has something to do with the cultural zeitgeist, the extent that like the demand, um, like, you know, the girl boss is kind of over. So there isn't yep. that demand to perform this specific womanhood. Yep. And like, I guess, I don't know. I feel like it, I'm still digging into this because I do feel like we're recalibrating our relationship to looks like uh-huh. suddenly I think we're pushing up against the taboo of like caring too much about looks um Mm -hmm. which I think bimbofication was like the earlier start of when we're seeing people you know these aren't people that just like a little bit of lipstick and like to look presentable these people like to look really outlandish and really outrageous and like put a lot of time and noticeable effort into their looks I feel like so maybe it has to do with social media maybe it has to do with people being at home a lot in that era so they were truly dressing for themselves Mm -hmm. um But I think the most interesting part here is like, um, for as much as I love being a nerd and reading and stuff, I do think we need to challenge the importance of intelligence a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, As intelligence isn't the end all be all of what you can be. And I thought it was interesting. A lot of the comments for that story, it was a lot of emotional, angry, hostile responses of people defending the value of intelligence. And like, you know, it's not an either or, um, mm-hmm. and it's I, I I just think it's interesting how sensitive we still are about yeah. that. Like, um, and I guess the bimbofication movement of TikTok was kind of pushing this idea that, um, you know, how we define in, like intelligence is like beauty. It's a social construct, and like mm-hmm. we're defining intelligence in terms of your ability to contribute to society, and that's a problem. Right. I think this is so, I love this so much. I love this so much because I think that it's, it's really subversive in a very specific way that gets to the heart of the problem, which is that often, I mean, because intelligence is based on, like you said, it's completely subjective. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. did you go to Harvard and read like books that some old white man put on a list a hundred years ago and said, if you read these books, you're a smart person versus you know, having emotional intelligence or street smarts or um, even the fact that we call it street smarts, um, but like other types of or like the fact that you are emotionally intelligent enough to be compassionate and kind. Like, who cares if you know a whole bunch of trivia or you like, you know, quantum physics, if you're mean, like, actually, that doesn't make the world better Mm -hmm. um, in any way, like because the people you are directly in contact with, like, you're being a jerk and like your your um, immediate environment is not being improved by your presence. So like who cares how smart you are and how much you have in your brain? And I think we like we value things in a really distorted way that this, I think, subverts in, in a powerful way. Yes, I feel like it's almost like they invited this kind of personal journey. They, I feel like they encourage people to like see what happens when you really give in to like any instinct to explore how you look and put a lot of effort like what if you just give yourself permission to become extremely vain and obsessed with your image like what would happen then um Mm -hmm. like not in a destructive way but I think they were kind of like inviting people like 
push past that resistance and push past that like um, attachment you have to intelligence and like just see where it takes you. Um, I think so. I love how you just, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love how you framed it in your article, how it's kind of a pushback against the academia and the academic, which by extension is patriarchal Mm -hmm. definition of a valuable person, which is there's only one form of intelligence, as you guys were just talking about. And also this, because the girl boss is based on a capitalist construct that someone's value comes from your efficiency and productivity in the workforce and throughout the pandemic we've seen just how harmful you know that is people are burning out they're seeing that life is more than just working and being a a a capitalist worker bee and so i think that's also where a lot of this resurgence of the bimbo comes from and to your point about intelligence being varied it's like yeah like some intelligence is just as much of a genetic lottery as looks are in a way you know like you can't put down women who are maybe born more uh classically or traditionally whatever socially attractive and maybe you know they don't have as high of a high high iq and it's not like something we need to denigrate or judge people for like if someone is making a living and living her life and being a good person with whatever charms she has, like, who are we to say that that person is lesser? Yeah. And the bimbo, I feel like they make this, they create this parallel between looks and intelligence that like, I think society creates that parallel where like, it's gotta be one or the other. And kind of bimbos exist in like the extremity of both, because when you think about it, like intelligence as you can measure it with an aptitude test or an IQ test or like Mm -hmm. performance. Um, These are all things used to determine that people, like these are all ways to used to be determined that someone's racially inferior or that their gender was inferior. A lot of the language we use to describe lack of intelligence is extremely ableist. And until very recently was used to describe people of dimnit cognitive abilities. So, it's some, this is something that at least the bimbos I interviewed were very aware of. Like they're mm. not, like they know like intelligence is just another way of saying, can you reproduce the patriarchy? Can you reproduce white supremacy in a way that's productive to sustaining that kind of society? Um, and it's interesting because at least in terms of advancing women or minorities in society, the looks aspect can advance you. If you look presentable, mm-hmm. if you look, so they're almost kind of like reveling in that space of like, you know, like they're the same, like they're both right. games that you can play and we're having the most fun with it. Right. I think I think one of the core th- things that this sort of makes me think about is like, um, I mean, I don't know if it was because I was watching a show at the time. It's always links back to some show I'm watching. But, like, I don't know if I was watching a show at the time where there were a lot of, like, con artists or, like, people who, like, you know, play different roles or whatever. But one of the epiphanies I had in that moment, and I, like, sat and thought about it for a while, was, like, how a lot of life um, is a performance. Like, a lot of life is your personality, the way that you, like, show up in the world. Like, a lot of that is... um, Sure, some of it's genetic, but a lot of it is like, you know, you show up and you're performing like who you are 
right? Your personality mm-hmm. is a, cer- a certain set of like qualities that either you've, um, you know, gained through experience, observation, um, those kinds of things. But like who you show up at, you know, when people are like, just be yourself. I always hate when people say that because I'm like, who I am is actually changes depending upon who I'm around um, and also like how comfortable I am with the people I am around. So my personality is quite different in different contexts. And I think that's true of most people. So like it's not this set thing where I can just quote be myself like I, you know, I think that changes and evolves as you um, get older. Um, but I like the idea that this is all sort of based in this I, this um, notion that you can sort of play with it. You can play with how you show up. You can be you like, it is a performance at the end of the day. And it's not you don't have to perform in the way society expects you to perform that that's what this is teaching us. Yeah, and that it's not duplicitous or lying to kind of lift the veil on this pretty common experience. And like, performance isn't a bad thing. It's not lying. It's just you reading the room and showing up in a very specific way, which I would argue requires immense intelligence for you to be able to read all those visual cues and present them just so, which is why I think the next stage of bimbofication has been yassification, where, Uh like, if you've seen Yassifybot on Twitter and stuff, where I feel like it's kind of come full circle and it's just very much all about the performance. Oh my gosh. Wait, is that where you put a filter on the photo? Yes. Um, Please tell us more about that because I just Googled it. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it all started with this Twitter bot to the best of my Uh knowledge. And they would um, edit celebrity pictures and things. And I think that evolved into a use of like a specific photo editing tool to kind of produce the same result. and so it's very much marked by like a before and after moment where it's like before you look like a regular person and after you have like really long lashes and very extreme makeup and like you've been yassified. Oh but- my gosh, <laughs> I Googled it too. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the my favorite one I saw recently is like, I don't know if you've ever noticed like how mango pits are kind of fuzzy uh, uh-huh. and someone washed a mango pit, blow dried it. Oh my God. A mango, like literally the fruit. A mango pit, correct. <laughs> wow. I'm Googling it. Yeah. Someone commented like, this is gender performance. Like this was a mango pit before, but now it's a girl. Like, Oh my has- God, that is so funny. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Google. I love internet. this generation. The jokes <laughs> are so good because that's so, like that's another level of a joke. You kind of have to like get the subversive nature of that joke right in order for it to uh-huh. be funny a lot of people are not going to mm-hmm. get that joke but like no now the mango's a girl and like and every like if you really understand what what the what the through line of these jokes are you find that very funny like we did but um but i think probably if i tried to explain it to my mom she might not get it um but i think that it, the other piece of this that i was um i wanted to ask you about is the way you you said something that i that stuck out to me which is the girl boss is dead and and you just asked a question that was really important uh, about how, you know, a lot of the the girl boss was supposed to save us from the capital white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. It was supposed to be the thing that if the girl boss was successful at life, like that meant we could all be successful if we worked real hard and um, we got up and did all our to do lists. Um, and I'm saying this as somebody who, you know, I love personal development books. I'm I'm a person who will give you the 
you know, this is how you're going to achieve your goals speech. Like I'm, I'm the first person to do that. Like I've read all those books. I, you know, the girl lost your faces of the world and, and whatnot. But can you talk about how the girl boss sort of let us down? Because a lot of the girl bosses that became very successful, you know, they were successful and they didn't like uplift all boats. And so a lot of this, these movements now, especially on TikTok and other social spaces, are a response to the girl boss being dead. Yeah, I mean, I think um, something about young people today, um, I'm 25, so I hardly qualify as Gen Z. But even then, like we were not in the workforce for the girl boss to have meaning for us, right? Like mm. the, the experiences girl bosses described were not things we had experienced yet. So it was just something we saw in the distance. But once we came of age, we grew older, that's when the lawsuits, the bankruptcy, the callouts became really public. So I think if we, I've spoken to a lot of people about this for a newer story, we didn't, we didn't get to relate to her when she was coming up, but it was very visible when she was crashing mm -hmm. down. Um, I think at the end of the day, the girl boss was very much an individualistic promise. And I think we, we can be confident and we should know by now that in, one individual's success is not, it's not trickle down, you know, feminism. Uh, so right. I do think part of it is like, in terms of the girl boss being dead, I think some of it is that like, you know, she, we didn't get to connect to her as like an every person because we were too young when she was coming up. And all we saw was like the broken promises. And I feel like in hindsight, it's 2020, right? Like now we were like, well, of course it wasn't, it didn't work. Like one loud white girl success is not going to mean anything for the shy women of color that feel like if they're going to speak up, they're going to get, you know, reprimanded for their tone Facts. or right. things like that. I feel like that was in hindsight's 2020, I guess, when it comes to the death of the girl boss. Yeah. The bambofication definitely feels more inclusive, uh, you know, demographically and also more community-based. Like it's about mm -hmm. being a nice person. Like you need to support other women, not just be the one uh, like Sheryl Sandberg who rises to the top and doesn't do trickle down feminism. I love that yeah. term, by the way. I remember said. at the time I was on a, a panel and somebody said something that I've remembered since. And it, cause the panel was about, you know, the Paulina is, uh, you know, for privileged white fancy um, people mm -hmm. who can have other people do their um, the, the tasks that allow them to lean in, um, usually mm -hmm. women of color. And one of the things somebody said was like, black women would like to lean out, please. Like we would like to lean out. I would like to lean out. I've been leaning in since like, <laughs> you know, for 400 years and I would like to right. lean out. Like we talking about like, oh, women in the workforce. I'm like, black women have been domestic workers while they were taking care of your family and their own families since like, there are three, four generations. So, um, and here in the United States, um, longer if you go um, beyond here. So um, I think like we have to reassess um, some of the ways that we build these movements. And like you said, maybe community-based movements and intersectional movements are the way to go. Pro tip, everyone, um, because um, otherwise you are excluding people and marginalizing them in a way that you know, I think there, it's not a surprise that the, the girl boss movement sort of blew up and went up in smoke because because it was um, it marginalized people and obscured the fact that, 
you know, I mean, I think what's what's fascinating is to see how some of these women that were, you know, on magazine covers and celebrated um, for being girl bosses, you know, when you think about them now, not in any personal capacity, it's just no sh personal shade, but, you know, I, I don't think that they're put on the pedestal like they were in the past. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, I think, a growing recognition that even the girl boss is based on a patriarchal capitalist system of power that doesn't systematically serve women. It only serves a select lucky few. And so being a bimbo, in my opinion, today is revolutionary. I agree. I think this is this is one of those movements that I didn't know about it before now, but now I'm obsessed. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I always say, cause I'm in the world's oldest millennial that, um, <laughs> you know, the Gen Z's of the world. Like, I, I just like the way that they look at the world. I like I like that they're able to see the matrix. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that or our the systems... Hippies. Yeah, that, like, our systems are broken. They see it um, in a way that older generations, some of them saw it, but it's still the way it is. So it was obviously not changed. <laughs> um, they didn't change mm -hmm. it. Um, so I think the Gen Z's, you know, they're like, we only have a couple more years left because of this climate crisis. So we got to like hurry up and change it. Like, what am I waiting for in trying to subvert the patriarchy or change, change things? I'm going to go do that with my TikTok feed, for example. I wanted to thank um, our guest, Michelle Santiago Cortez, for this really fascinating conversation. I'm going to be following a lot more of these accounts, paying much more attention to this now that I know um, what it is and what's going on. Um, thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.